Welcome back to Tales from the Subterranean Playground, brought to you by Immersify Recording Services, LLC. This is Episode 2, and I'm your host, Mark Allen J. In this episode, we pick up where we left off in our discussion of pedal steel guitar with Michael Harrington, who talks more about his meeting with Drew Howard and how that vectored him down a new stringed instrument musical path. But before we hear that part of the discussion, we're going to play an excerpt of a song called Guilty, which features more of Mike's pedal steel work. Guilty was, in fact, the only tune not exclusively written by Mark that appears on the CD. Instead, it was co-written by Mark and Amy Petty. Amy, as you may recall from episode one, sings harmony and backing vocal parts on the CD, and on this track, she does both. It's a haunting, brooding number that deals with an individual best described as broken. Mark explained to me that he had the rudiments of the song in place, but worked with Amy to flesh out the rest. We'll return to the discussion after we listen to the excerpt. Here we go. Redemption holds the open door contemplate the deal know inside that it may be the only way to heal you will never be completely free you will remain forever chained you Unsaid, promise to redeem, submit to mercy's hand for a simple chance to dream. As you fall asleep tonight, your new life's just begun. When the morning light appears, promise comes undone. You are still the guilty one. Oh, 
Okay, now that we've given that a little bit of time to settle, let's get back to the conversation. Here, Mike further discusses his first real exposure to pedal steel guitar, but also some of its history in popular music. Drew is kind of tuning up his guitar and doing everything. I'm like slowly getting closer to him in increments <laughs> as he's going. You know, so at one point I'm kind of in the back of the room and then closer up. And then, you know, sooner or later he looks up and I'm kind of like staring down right over at it. I'm like, what is this? You know, tell me what this is. And he kind of laughs and he he shows me a couple things, you know, and then I think we kind of became friends after that. Um, but he's kind of like my biggest mentor for steel guitar. And he lives in the middle of nowhere. Like all these old guys, they just live in the hills. And you're never going to know about them, you know, if you don't know about it. What's a lost art? Yeah, and I mean, I had to drive. I The first time I ever went to his house to, like, take a lesson <laughs> from him, um, I had to, you know, my GPS took me to this, like, it was like a, a dead end, like a T road, and it says go straight. And I'm thinking, what do you mean go straight? There's nothing there. <laughs> and then I realized there's like kind of a dirt road, and then off to the left there's this graveyard, and I'm thinking, this has to be it, you know? So this I This is how I die. Yeah. <laughs> or learn. I always or learn. learn. You yeah. can stop learn or, you, or can, you can turn around now or yeah. you can go and never be the yeah. same. Choose your own adventure. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I thought, well, okay, at least I'm gonna die learning this kind of guitar, you know, this is cool. So it's a, you know, it's a worthy pursuit. Yeah. I mean. yeah. So I, you know, I drive down another like half a mile down this country road, and sure enough, he's there. You know, but uh, I spent you know quite a bit of time with him, just hanging out and really appreciating that instrument. You know, there's such a rich history of it, um, just because everyone, you know, with that kind of guitar, it was kind of created overnight. Once Webb Pierce's "Slowly" tune came out in '54, 1954. Uh, because that's arguably the first like actual pedal steel recording where the you know the lap steel eventually had um, a pedal which would hook to the strings and then you would change them you know obviously that's kind of like what everyone knows is the signature sound but um, guys heard that overnight and then they started to try and figure out how Bud Isaacs who's the steel player on that recording did it and even then all the tunings were kind of you know varied and it was like a very regional thing i think mm. which is really cool to me um and now you know it's a little more modernized with the way buddy emmons kind of created a setup and that's mostly what people use today um so that was kind of my first real exposure to that instrument and i've kind of been down that rabbit hole ever since you mm. know i've been probably doing it for maybe five years now six years um, I like it a lot more guitar, but I feel like I don't really know as much, you know, on that because it's all I just learned by records. I never really had any formal training, you know, other than Drew showing me a couple things. Um, so it's pretty magical to me in that way. Um, and then what was the second question? The second part really is about how when the tune was coming together, was it like Billy who turned to you or was it Mark or whomever who was saying, Okay, so here's what I'm thinking. Or did you go in with like a, a strong notion of how you were going to play the part on that? Um, I'm pretty sure I probably just looked over and Billy said, "This needs steel," because I just want to put it on everything, you know, which is guilty. <laughs> which is wrong. Of mine. But you know, with, I feel like with acoustic kind of guitar music like that, it steel always seems to just kind of pair well, almost like the violin you know, pairing well in that way with the voice. You know, steel is like the same thing. It's a very vocal 
instrument, you know, it's like the same, you know, some people say that instrument too is like, you know, really close to the human voice. Yeah. And I think they're, they're similar in the sense that the way things, way, the way certain notes are bent. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's similar between the two instruments. A lot of different inflections right? going on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, maybe I, you know, worked on a couple things at home after I heard like the rough demo or whatever, or the demo of it. But, uh, a lot of that stuff, I think, kind of just happened in the moment. I mean, it was kind of a really cool session because I think that was like probably my second real steel guitar session. So I was wow. really just trying to. What? S- <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. what? Are you kidding me? No. <laughs> Just, just as kidding. an aside, okay. the number of years Mike has been on the Shut planet is mind. usually the number of years it takes to learn the steel guitar. I can't. <laughs> what? <laughs> that just changed my whole life, maybe. <laughs> here's okay. So here, I'm I'm constantly wanting to interject on everything, but here's not what I'm going to say about Mike. Mm-hmm. Is that the reason that he was drawn to this instrument was because he understands this instrument and he understands Mm. where it belongs in a song and it makes perfect sense to him and he's supposed to play this instrument and honest to god like you just know exactly what to play so it's like i don't even i mean i'm not going to speak for you but i think you don't even think about it you're just like well this is how it goes like this is how this song goes and i and what? That's your, <laughs> I am totally blown away from yeah. now. That is Well, that's nuts. a better answer than I had. But. Well, no, but yeah. the, 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 no, he just knows. But, mean, the, but the magic, that's the thing. Yes. And, and he, has a, he has a spiritual connection to this instrument. Everybody that knows Mike knows this. So that's the thing. True that. Yes. The magic is the thing. You can have all these elements and have them be essentially soup. Everything comes together as soup. But then... For whatever reason, in a given session, somebody plays something with a certain attitude or with a certain inflection or a certain timing. Maybe somebody's hanging back ever so slightly to kind of build tension, and suddenly everything changes. What I like about this tune, for me, is that it feels very cohesive. I could say the same of your vocals. That's right. You have to be able to see it, you have to be able to hear it, and you have to be able to project it. And I think you did that really well. I've got I've got something that we were getting at for a second earlier, and I wanted to make sure that that I say it. Um, okay. It, it, I feel like it applies to the entire record, and people who listen to this record and kind of wonder who's on it, and they open the book and they want to see, you know, what's what's going into it. Um, is that like Amy's singing, Mike's playing, and Mark's songwriting, like? everyone involved in this record has such good taste mm. and that is what makes kind of filling in the cracks and make and 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 it's what makes putting a song together um in a in a studio setting or even in a live setting work so easily because everyone is sort of uh sensitive to what's happening and they're they're listening everyone has big ears and in, in a, you know in a in a live setting or whatever big eyes right everyone is paying attention to everyone else and everyone's supporting everyone else like you don't really have that luxury all the time mm-hmm. in every setting and i i did and that's and that's also one of the cool things about you know being able to produce a record with with someone is that you get to pick so you don't really have to deal with sort of people that you might not call for right. a session um, I got to choose everyone that I wanted to work with because I knew that everyone was going to come in and sort of be a family, be supportive, um, and be so sensitive to what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and and you know and and so that track in particular for me yes. does that everything sort of is interwoven there really isn't a standout thing you know i wouldn't have let it happen but like there isn't a standout <laughs> there isn't a standout part that's like that seems very out of place i yeah. wonder why yeah everyone is yeah. there finding their moment and then also allowing allowing space for everyone else to have their moment and it's all in um you know in the direction of the song right making the making the tune happen the best way and it kind of all zooms back down into the song and so that's sort of well i'm smiling because of the first thing you said there and we did not collaborate on this in Mm. advance Mm. (laughs) but i made some notes about things i want to talk about the first note i made and to set it up, you know, this this whole crew I've always referred to as my strategic advisors because right. they <laughs> have given me good advice and guidance. My first note is the advisors are masters of taste and tone. That's why they're on the record. Right. Yes. That's the first yes. thing I wrote down. I have a friend who always says, don't be afraid to be the least talented person in the room. Exactly. And that's, that's exactly what it is. What it is. At, yeah. at every that's moment, exactly. yeah. as soon as we stand in front of the microphone or sit behind our instruments, we are the least talented person in the room. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's so good. That's Beautiful. why that album is so good. Yeah. Yep. And so it makes putting a record together easy when everyone yes. else could produce their and, own record. Yeah. And that's what I was alluding to when I said it was an organically developed record. Okay. Because I, I brought the bones of the songs right. and you know some ideas, but... Basically, we just brought it. We invited everybody to do what they do right. best. Just yeah. do it. No <laughs> one plays violin better than Sonia Lee in this room. You know, right? Than Sonia Lee, you know? And she's so stinking humble. About, oh my gosh! Like yeah. what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's funny because you say family, and it reminds me like of the you know you can have one or the other. You can have a really great family or a super dysfunctional family. <laughs> <laughs> one of them is no fun. <laughs> you know, it just. But would, would you yeah. appreciate the other if you didn't have that? But that's right? true. Right? You do. It's. I mean, that, again, that's a cliche, and and people talk about well. You know, this is so dark. Well, you wouldn't know it's dark if you didn't have this as a as a point of contrast. And so yeah. the fact that you have people who actually can say they know what it's like to be in that position. So they have to be. You got to be professional. You got to be on, and you got to be creative. No pressure at all. Right. There's yeah. none. Yeah, and this it's, is going to last forever. Don't right. worry about it. Yeah, so, right. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> if it doesn't go your way and you don't like it, and the producer overrules you, oh well. Yeah. Right. You right. have to live with it. But right. but see. And you and I have spoken about this. I know it. But Glenn Johns once said, because someone asked Glenn Johns, what is really the role of the producer? What does the producer do? And he said, without hesitation, the producer is the person who has to be willing to have the strongest opinion in the room. Period. Yeah. Yeah. I dig that. Yeah. Right? That's right. And, and the whole idea being that you can't do a mix, you can't do a production as a democratic process. Someone has to sail that ship mm-hmm. fundamentally. Or yeah. you gotta be able to pay for eight different versions of the same record. Right. Yes. You, know. and who, you can't all put your favorite colors on in the painting. You can't. Right, you right. Can't. That does not equal <laughs> yeah. right. some nice stuff. Right. All right. You trusted all of us. So when we had something to say, you knew that we like, like it must be worth saying. Yeah. And like, you're just like, okay. And you heard it out. And frequently you were like, yeah, right. Yeah, let's do that. Well, like, am I gonna am I gonna ask am I gonna tell you? I think 
you should reevaluate how you're putting your vocal yeah, part right, together. Like, right, no, what? Right. what? No right. way. And then when I would do something, you'd be like, oh my gosh, that sounds like a Disney princess movie. I would be like, well, I am listening to that. <laughs> yeah. And you're right. Like, you're right. You're right. Because I can't hear what you can hear. So I, yeah. Well, we had just totally finished I, yeah. chasing the bluebirds out of the room, so. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm just going to jump right into it and play an excerpt from the seventh tune on the CD. It's entitled Warren Zevon's Birthday and deals with some unusual coincidences regarding Warren and Mark's own father. My father died on Warren Zevon's birthday. I'm still not sure exactly what that means. So different, yet the same. Neither knew the other's name. Both had profound effect on me. Dad served his country in the Second World War. He was only 20 years of age He kept it all inside A place where he could hide Secrets he carried to his grave Warren, Warren Zevon mm. Arguably one of the cooler and more creative people to have come out of the music scene, the LA scene. And Warren is, in my opinion, an acquired taste. There are a lot of people who just cannot get behind anything that cat does. He's frightening to some. He is, (laughs) was. Yeah. But lest we forget, what were his last words or the last recorded words? Do you remember? Well, enjoy every sandwich. There it is. Well, yeah, he, uh, he uttered those words on the Dave Letterman show. That was the first time I heard them. And um, I, I, I revisit, I watch that whole show uh, like once a year. Um, it's, it's kind of a ritual, but uh, it's the, the first and only time Dave dedicated an entire show to one guest. Hmm. Warren came on and they talked and he played some songs and they talked some more. And they talked about the, the most serious life matters you can possibly talk mm-hmm. about. His, his mortality mm-hmm. and his impending death. Yeah. Well, he and Dave had a very special relationship. Uh, Warren had been like the uh, the guest music director uh, standing in for Paul Schaefer when Paul was on extended tours with the Blues Brothers or wow, other acts. So, you know, Warren would, would stand in for weeks at a time for Paul. And so they developed quite a relationship. Oh, wow. And um, on this particular show, um, it was shortly after Warren learned that he had terminal cancer and i I remember a few comments he made um (laughs) dave said uh have you learned anything from this experience and and i'll paraphrase him but he said well i I believe i made a tactical error in not seeing a physician for the past 20 years (laughs) He, he got all of his medical advice and all of his prescriptions and everything from i believe a a dentist friend Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) so and he was very 
frank about it and like he, he knew exactly where he was mm-hmm. in his timeline mm-hmm. and he made light of it um i i love gallo's humor and he just right. nailed the bullseye on that right. one yeah. and then later on in the show dave said well do you have any advice you know for our listeners he goes well um just enjoy every sandwich <laughs> and that really encapsulated you know the uh, the fleeting nature of life mm-hmm. i mean bit. who can argue with enjoying every sandwich right fundamentally right. <laughs> <That's> right. <laughs> especially from a guy that loves sandwiches right, <laughs> right? well no but, but see like so when i listen to the tune there are elements of it that feel a little bit like lawyers guns and money oh it's my favorite. Yeah, too. there there are. It's maybe it's the phrasing. I don't know, but I but I, I think I love it when somebody pays homage to another artist, right? Somebody who has clearly been an inspiration to that artist's art, to that mm-hmm. artist's craft. What I want to know is about the deeper connection in that song. What what really drove you to write that, and how that came about? Well, we could honestly do a whole podcast on this the song and the elements behind it but okay. um <laughs> he uh he was just a very unique personality uh, he's first of all he hung out with hunter s thompson yes he did and second of all he did it more than once <laughs> he survived <laughs> and he and survived <laughs> and wow <laughs> that's yeah. that's all i'm gonna say about that yeah <laughs> oh my god but you know, I th- I think the uh, I-, I searched for a way to describe him that, that that would fit into a short verse, and I think I described him as uh, a feral buckaroo in some alcoholic Xanadu, <laughs> which is so Warren Zevon to write. Yeah, that. and he yeah. and he Dude. rode the double E right straight through hell. Oh, that's and, good. And you yeah. know, yeah, laid my head on the railroad tracks yeah. waiting for the double E yep. on poor poor pitiful yep. me. So it was a way I could you know just kind of. Tip my hat a little bit and, right and still describe what's going on there. Warren had an appetite for living. Living large, a thing he did so well. Like a feral buckaroo, some alcoholics had to do. He wrote the double E. Right straight through hell They shared a favorite drink Called the next one A humor dark and dry The way I like it too Both loved to tell a story And both could do it well I miss those stories now I really do Exactly what that means. So 
the whole thing there, um, that song took about 16 years for me to realize that there was a relationship because what I admired most about Warren was his ability to use words and vocabulary and images, uh, especially unexpected ones and things that were strangely juxtaposed. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I, I realized that my dad had the same fascination with words. He loved to do that. And it wasn't until my dad passed in 03. And I, I had a habit prior to 03. I, I don't know how I learned what Warren Zevon's birthday was, but it's January 24th. And I would make it a point to, to listen to some of his music on January 24th. But, um, my, my dad passed under really stressful conditions, and it escaped me at that moment. It wasn't until a year or two later that I realized, huh, he passed on Warren Zevon's birthday. Mm -hmm. And it just sat there for 16 years. <laughs> wow. And, until I sat down to write the song, and uh, it, it put a lot of things together. And um, the, the the connections came out. Um, uh, I'm not going to fall apart here. Sure. <laughs> we'll see. You know, there's <laughs> editing that fixes all kinds of... <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I had written a third verse that, you know, fit uh, as far cadence-wise and so on, but it wasn't right. And, and I wasn't happy with my own vocal track. We had recorded most of the whole song, and I wanted to go back, and I wanted to redo my vocal track. The night before, I somehow stumbled upon the the poem um, in Flanders Field. I'm fine. I can see it. <laughs> I'm fine. <laughs> no, you're totally fine. <laughs> and uh, I, I changed the line in it when I went to sing it that night. I remember Amy and, and, yeah. and Billy oh, were yeah, there. I don't know if you yeah. were there that night. I, um, I just, it hit me like a ton of bricks. Mm -hmm. And I had a hard time getting getting the line out and singing it. I was choked up so much, but the line is, uh, from failing hands, we throw the torch, be it yours to hold it high. But there's a weird connection because it, it, it took a while for me to unravel it. But, uh, my dad and I had a, a tradition. <clears throat> we would go, um, to see the, uh, the Red Wing old timers, uh, the hockey team. And, and, a long time ago when they played at Olympia, they, they always played if it was the against the Montreal Canadian mm -hmm. old-timers mm -hmm. mm -hmm. or the Toronto old-timers. And on one occasion, they played um, the Montreal group. And I, I still have a program from that. Uh, only hockey fans in, in the listening audience will appreciate it. But in, in <laughs> one program, I got the autographs of Ted Lindsay, Sid Abel, and Gordie Howe on wow. their photo. Rocket Richard on his photo, Jacques Plant on his photo, wow. uh, Marcel Pronovo and, and some other um, maybe not quite as famous players. But then there was a little article about uh, the the Canadians' dressing room and over the the doorway and the arch. It's written in French that line from In Flanders Field. Wow! Wow! Oh my gosh. wow. It's funny how 
you then start to associate the work of another person with someone who's very close to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we could spend a whole day yeah. on this song, I yes. think. No doubt. There's an expression about managing the slow groove being one of the harder things to do. That's your that's your wheelhouse. That's your you know territory. Mm. I'm always curious, like on a tune like this, because you sound dead on in this. The snare sounds great. Thank you. I think. <laughs> Is that something like in this tune where you felt like you had to be super precise, or was it just like you were just in the pocket and it just you felt it? Well, um, I think that as far as rhythm and interpretation of rhythm go everyone has their own sort of personality with that and in a weird kind of i don't, I don't want to say predestined way because i think you can you can work at changing your taste over time as a player or your sensibilities but i feel like your personality and your sort of rhythmic interpretation personality mm-hmm. are usually very similar and i am like Somehow people say I'm a very laid back person, but I'm also a very anxious person inside. So like being super chill and like laying back is not really something that comes naturally to me. So I have to really try to do that. Interesting. But I but I also equate like um like I think it's really easy to like equate um fast with like intense and um and like loud with fast and then like, you know, you know slower is always softer and less intense more lethargic which Mm -hmm. these things are just arbitrary they don't Mm -hmm. really have that much correlation but like um something that i try to think about a lot and with this tune i had you know it's a a very slow tempo i wanted it to have weight Mm -hmm. and so weight is not always like physical weight of like slamming and playing as loud as you can but like if you if you're playing on the backside of the beat or even if there's this sort of anticipation, like, you know, it's almost like a, a tension, like a quick release or, or uh, a, like a, a quick buildup mm-hmm. of tension right before this big moment. And then it's almost slightly delayed. You kind of have this sort of like instant weight built and it's just time. It's not has nothing to do with dynamic or, or with uh, volume. You know, it's literally where you place it in time. And so that was just my main consideration. Yeah, we're on the same page. Is, <laughs> is that in the What'd notes? Right? Can I What'd see it? Write? Yeah, is, I, that, is that underlined? I, I specifically <laughs> gave some pretty deep thought to, to what you were just talking about, mm. you know, days ago. Okay. <laughs> as I listened to this thing. And um, first of all, thank you. You kept me honest because I always kind of wanted to race a little bit in the choruses. Mm-hmm. But you kept me on on the on the grid and uh it it struck me later as i listened to this that because of that discipline and and you made it bigger without making it faster and 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 louder um your approach to this really reminded me a lot of middle era genesis like phil collins and chester thompson those guys yeah those guys i mean and it, it made this feel like an arena rock tune to me it's it's an epic and, song, and you know just the way you're doing crashes simultaneously mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. snare and kick, mm-hmm. it just like if you can't find the grid while I'm playing this, I don't know where yeah. you yeah. are. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, I I think it really adds a lot to the the feeling of the tune, um, and I and I wanted it to be 
extremely dynamic. Uh, we, we, we had a point of reference, the intro. Uh, I kind of wanted to pattern after a Jason Isbell song called uh, Flying Over Water. Mm-hmm. I mean, it opens up with three bang, bang, bang chords, and then it gets very small. Mm-hmm. And then later on, it builds up, and it gets better. Um, I, I had kind of envisioned things maybe getting wilder and, and crazier, mm-hmm. you know, in an extended version, you know, like where you could kind of jam at the end a little bit. Yeah, a little more. A little yeah, but it, it fits in this collection, in this manifestation mm-hmm. really well. And it I really think. captures the spirit of that, of what like slogging through grief is. Like you just, you take your time in it and there's almost an enjoyment you get. <laughs> like just <laughs> sitting in something longer than you feel comfortable sitting in it. Maybe sometimes. not while you're going through it. <laughs> right, but I think right. But in, even yes, that, you can find right. it as you're going through it sometimes. You can. You're like, I'm never going to be able to feel this ever again. Right. And that's, you feel that in this song. Yeah, there were revelations the that, that came in the development. Like I said, it took 16 years, you know, between right. events for this thing to really unfold and clarify itself. And, um, I, you know, I had pretty much, you know, come to grips with the aspects of grief. And then this uncovered some new ones. I go, oh, well, here's something I haven't thought about. Right, right. Why don't I try to sing it into this microphone that captures everything? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll just, I'll just do that now. Yeah. Right. So uh, we were, you know, we were kind of joking around about how, you know, how you might sing something if in, in in a mic and it's like oh well that's that's not usable we can we can't use that because i i broke or i'm 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 too emotional right now i'm not just doing my job in the studio and then i and i wanted to say like um you know working with amy was so nice um when mark was in the booth singing because i feel like you and i amy have similar uh interest in 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 keeping things extremely honest yes, right. um and and very very um, I don't know very very true to the room, yes. and and when character is involved uh, and shown uh, or heard rather when character is heard you got to keep that keep stuff it, you yeah. can't just you know you can't just dumb it down it's and not make about it, getting it right exactly your perfect version is really not what you want to put out there the perfect version really is this sort of true um, thing that, you know, Mark is in front of the microphone or, or you are in front of the microphone or whatever, whoever is there, it's sort of like, what is the essence of that person? And, and that that's something that, like, you can't, not to get all, like, you know, pre-computer or whatever, but, like, you know, that's something that it takes so much longer to, 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 to manufacture that mm-hmm. when really all you have to do is stand in front of a microphone and be honest. And it takes one second. Oh, man. You know? I right just on. so appreciate that, that, that you get that. Thanks again for listening in. In our next episode, we'll take a break from this series and instead feature another local musician who's doing some very positive things with his work in the community. Be sure to tune in for that, as it's a beautiful story. However, for now, it's time to pull the faders down once more and say goodbye from the subterranean playground. Until next time, peace. Tales from the Subterranean Playground is brought to you and produced by Immersify Recording Services, LLC.